You are listening to the Nutrition Wise Podcast, where nutrition besties Amanda and Lindsay have completely honest and candid conversations about today's hot nutrition topics. As registered dietitian nutritionists, they bring some much-needed clarity to today's overwhelming diet culture, giving real-life advice for you busy mamas out there. This is a judgment-free zone to get in on the conversation, have a laugh, and get some tips along the way. So grab a cup of coffee or even better, your favorite fermented fruit and take a listen. We are so happy you are here. Hey everyone, welcome to the Nutrition Wise podcast. This is Amanda, one of your registered dietitians, and I have a very special guest here with me today. This is the month of our food, fitness, and finance series, so I have a financial advisor here with me today, Miss Julie. So I'm going to let her give a little bit of background on herself because it's really kind of interesting how she came into the financial world. And we're going to talk all things kind of finance and tie into some food stuff too about a food budget. So go ahead, Miss Julie. So I started in finance out of necessity. I needed a job and a local bank. Um, was the lucky one to hire me first. So it was not until my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer that I was introduced to the financial planning aspect of it. Before that, it was very consumer-driven, checking accounts, savings accounts, loans, but then working with my mom um, to help her find a new financial planner is what really put a spotlight on the fact that it seemed like advisors in the current industry are dependent on selling products and that the plan can get lost um, behind that. So I got into the industry just because I felt like I could do better. I, I really wanted to put the focus on the plan, which is in my opinion, far more important than the products that get you there. So um, in total, I've been in the financial industry for about 15 years. And during that time, I, I did go and, and get my MBA, and then I also received my Certified Financial Planner designation. And I also was able to spend some time in the trust world as a trust administrator, which was really, really interesting um, when it comes to seeing how an estate plan can can flow into you know the whole scenario. So. The, the day-to-day questions that I am asked, um, the number one thing is, you know, when it comes to budgeting, uh, budgeting in the past was a four-letter word. People didn't want to do it. They associated <laughs> it a budget with someone who doesn't have any money. And that's not the case. And a budget, especially for people who already are financially comfortable, a budget can be such a powerful tool to get you towards your goals at a much faster pace. So um, I use a budget. I have used a budget for years and years and years. And I like it. I like numbers though. And I know that not everybody does. So, you know, people start out of, you know, they don't know where to start. Well, I personally like Excel Excel spreadsheets. But then again, I love the numbers. (laughs) I love to get specific. I love typing them in. 
Not everybody does. Most banks now will offer a really good budgeting tool within your online banking. I know the bank that I go through is a local bank and they have a very, very good um, budgeting tool within their online banking portal and it will automatically sort things out based on categories. Oh, that's um, helpful. Another app that you can use that's free is called Mint. Um, mm -hmm. Mint is a free app, also does a good job and you can create your, or you can track your budgets there. So um, when we first started this talk, I, I did ask my own, um, on my own social media platform what people wanna hear about. And one of the questions that I thought was really good is how much should I be spending on certain things? Mm -hmm. So a lot of that has to do with comfort level. Um, it also has to do with what you want your life to live like, or to look like and then what your disposable income is. So for maybe a single income household or a lower or medium income household, uh, you're not gonna be able to have the as broad of a range when it comes to entertainment or discretion, discretionary items. But uh, all in all, the, the best way to do it is to sit down, if your most people are using online banking their phones, mm -hmm. pull it up. See how you are currently spending your money because how things are is probably how you're comfortable. So if you're most comfortable and enjoy eating out and putting your money there, you're not gonna be able to do a complete turnaround and eat every meal at home. It would not be fun. That was a big one for me when I did that. And I was like, oh my gosh. I just thought, you know, running to Panera or Chipotle, you know, mm -hmm. not even that it was like going to fancy restaurants, but just some of the, you know, going to Panera twice a week, it was like, oh my gosh, like yes. that adds up really fast. <laughs> and so if you were to arbitrarily sit down and make up a budget, the easiest thing for you to, to line item out of where you can save money would be eating out. And so can you imagine what it would have felt like from a fun aspect if you're like I'm no longer gonna go out to eat now you just feel like your budget just punished you yeah <laughs> which is not how you want to live which is uh -huh. not gonna make getting to your goals any easier so I like to go back look how you're actually spending money because that's gonna tell you where your priorities are mm -hmm. that's gonna tell you what your lifestyle where your lifestyle is comfortable so your fixed expenses you can't do anything about that you can't do anything about your mortgage you probably can't do very much about you know the the bills that you have in your house you might be able to nickel and dime those a little bit mm -hmm. but even if you go through and make every single household bill as efficient as possible it's not going to make a life-changing um, change in your budget so where you're going to see some flexibility that is going to be the variable items going out to eat groceries um, entertainment that's mm -hmm. that is where you have control more control over those so when it comes to going out to eat if that is something that you and your significant other your children is that something if that's something you guys truly enjoy then keep that in the budget just mm -hmm. keep it in there be mindful of what you've already been spending when it comes to your grocery bill are you okay this is where my my truth came in um i throw away bags of lettuce yeah <laughs> so i quit buying bags of lettuce you know look at your grocery bill see how much it is see if you're actually utilizing and eating and keeping um you know the food that you're buying with that 
Another thing was um, I learned during COVID because I started doing the pickup mm-hmm. is I save a ton of money by doing pickup because I don't pick up, I don't grab and buy a bunch of little things as I walk by mm-hmm. in the store. So um, those are going to be places where you can kind of cut back um, on your spending. So you gather all your past spending info, you identify the fixed and the variable expenses, and then you take that total of everything you've been spending and you compare that to the income that's coming in. And I'm not sure which financial guru that would say that said this, but I, you know, they'd say, don't focus on shrinking your pie um, if if the numbers don't look the way that you want in terms of you know making everything cheaper. Focus on increasing your income. Well, especially with COVID right now, that's not easy to do. Right. So I'm saying let's just look at it as it is today. We can, you know, you can always think about increasing that income down the road, but today we're going to tackle what you legitimately have coming in and going out. So from those two numbers, you've got all of your expenses, you've got all of your income, you'll see what's left over there. That is the amount that you have to allocate towards savings and or debt. Mm-hmm. So um, let's say that you, let's say you're in a position to where there is no money left. Mm-hmm. Let's say that you're in a position to where it is a negative number, meaning your expenses are greater than your income. Mm-hmm. And it happens to a lot of people. And what they'll do is they will depend on their credit cards to mm-hmm. cover that gap. And sometimes, some months and some phases in life, that's what you have to do to get through it. But if that's what it looks like every single month, then you need to look at your expenses very seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe to the point for most people, the largest expense that they have is their home. Mm-hmm. And if your home is what's draining you, then that's a hard conversation um, that you really, really have to decide of, is your home worth putting you in this situation? Another thing that we'll see sometimes, private school tuition. Right. Is another tough decision that if your number is negative and you'll never be able to get ahead. Um, But other than that, if you're looking at a positive number, um, then go ahead and, and, and see what you can clean up. If you are comfortable backing off of the eating out a little bit, if that'll save you some money. Me personally, I don't eat a help, eat out a whole lot, so there's no reason for me to cut back you know, in that department. Um, I have my own places where I spend yeah. too much money. <laughs> so, but you, you've gotta look and see where you can feasibly cut back and still live a life that you and your family wanna live. So now you've identified some extra cash that you have in your budget. Another really, really good and pertinent question at this time was how do you plan for a pandemic? Mm -hmm. And you can call this pandemic anything. You can call it a pandemic. You can call it a terminal illness. You can call it um, a family emergency. You can call it, you know, any type of thing. How do you plan for that? And so initially, if you identify some extra money in your budget, that safety net is where it should go first. Mm -hmm. And depending on your situation, that will determine how much you set aside. I would say for most dual income households, three months would be your minimum. Mm -hmm. The likelihood of both people losing their employment and neither of them getting unemployment benefits is pretty slim. So 
You don't need to be as flush as say someone who is in, and I'll say my situation. So my situation is a single income household and I am responsible for myself and for my daughter and, and the house and everything that goes along with that. So my comfort level is six months. Mm -hmm. So I have six months of my fixed expenses and my variable expenses sitting in a bank account. Yes, it's earning nearly nothing. Yes, that <laughs> seems terribly inefficient, but I don't have to worry about market movement affecting that bucket of money. Um, and I don't have to worry about, you know, if something were to happen to my, un my employment, I don't have to worry about the world coming to a screeching halt. So mm -hmm. when it comes to planning for the pandemic um, or, or any type of a catastrophe, three to six months, Sometimes people just have a nice round number that makes them happy. I have mm -hmm. some families where you have two earners in the household. Their total expenses are $3,000 a month. And so they, but, but you know what? $10,000 in the bank just makes me happy. Well, then do that. Mm -hmm. You know, right. um, personal preference and what makes you comfortable is always more important than, you know, a hard, you know, steadfast rule. So once you've accumulated that, then you can tackle your bigger goals. Um, another good question that I got is how do you decide between paying off debt and investing and which mm -hmm. is better? In finance, there's usually a right answer, um, but that right answer, the most perfect answer, might not make your heart and your brain the happiest. Mm -hmm. So I can explain to people all day long that if your mortgage is two and a half percent, then pretty in, in almost any given year, definitely over a period of time, the stock market will give you more than your mortgage is costing you. Mm -hmm. But if it has been so deeply ingrained in your brain that you want to be mortgage free by the time you're 50, then just work that plan. You know, there, right. there's no reason to, to go against. Uh, yes, in the long run, would you end up better off? You know, allocating some to the market and getting some more growth than that mortgage is costing you. Yeah, you would. But like I said, the numbers can be right. And if your heart's not happy, it, it, it was all for nothing. So uh, when it comes to debt, though, there was an old rule from a very wise and very successful financial person. You, you start with the smallest balance and you snowball it from there. And there definitely is a psychological component to that. You're checking something off the list. You're getting something done. You're reducing it from five credit cards to four to three to two. Mm -hmm. um, that makes sense. But numerically, you're better off if you organize it by highest interest rate first mm -hmm. um, as opposed to smallest balance. Because if you have money sitting in a 23% uh, credit card, and you're instead putting that on something that's costing you, you know, two and a half percent or things like, you know, something similar, you're really shortchanging yourself. Mm -hmm. So when you, you know, you've, like I said, you've come up with your budget, you've seen the extra cash that you have available, you've created your emergency fund, and so now we're deciding what we're going to do with it. Debt-wise, um, you would be fine then once you have your emergency fund, you would be absolutely fine allocating extra money in addition to the minimum payment towards your debt. I would organize it highest balance or highest interest rate first, mm -hmm. just because that's what cost that's what's costing you the most on a month to month basis. Right. Um, but then when it comes to the savings aspect of it, um, 
then what do you do with money outside of that? Maybe you don't have any, you don't have any debt, um, or maybe you do want to build up like a midterm savings. Maybe it'll make it till retirement time, but maybe I'll use it a little sooner. Maybe I can use it to retire early. So that would be like a, a midterm um, type of investment or savings accounts. Now, people have a tendency to want to sneak in um, a college savings account at that time. Mm -hmm. But I will say, it's kind of like being on an airplane. Put your mask on first mm -hmm. um, because your kids will always be able to borrow for college. You will not be able to borrow for retirement. You will not be able to borrow to get yourself out of debt. So That's a good point. <laughs> put, your, put your mask on first. Um, and you know, you're not for sure that your kids are going to go to college or that you're going to even have to pay for it. So take care of yourself first. So I would say a midterm savings, you know, maybe doing, and I can't give a percentage of 50, 50. It depends on what your debt looks like. It depends on how early you want to retire, but you know, you can allocate to both. You can be both paying down debt and doing a midterm savings at the same time. People have a tendency to put everything they can into their 401k, and it's because it just comes right off your check. You don't even see it. You don't feel like you're missing it. But then what happens is, you know, you have this money sitting in retirement that you can't touch until you're 59 and a half. And what if something big happens? You know, mm -hmm. what if you want to buy a new car and pay cash or put half cash down on it? You know, what if, I mean, and I had this, I had a one year period where it was like the hot water heater went out, the furnace went out, the air conditioner went out, like all at the same time. And I'm in the process of putting a new roof on my house as we speak. That money has to come from somewhere. Right. So um, it is important to have money outside of retirement that isn't in your day-to-day -day cash needs. And I've had clients go so far as to set up that bank account at a different bank and have it direct deposit from their paycheck into that bank account. Mm -hmm. Not everybody needs that level of disassociation, but if you do, you know, then, then that's your plan and that's what works for you. So, you know, you'll have different buckets of money as you go through life and that can, can protect you from you know things like um like the pandemic and having mm -hmm. to live off of your emergency funds um changes in your in your household um status whether it be from the loss of a spouse or you know possibly a divorce and it can also help you take on more fun adventures like uh, purchasing a second home or retiring early. So giving yourself some some flexibility in terms of your buckets of money um, can be really powerful um, down the road. So there are two free apps that I have used for debt to, to work on the debt plan. That would be your debt payoff planner or the debt manager. And both of those are free on the app store and you can use utilize either of those. So you know, we're focusing on people who um, are close to or entering their 40s or maybe even beyond. And people will be like, oh man, I didn't plan enough. Mm -hmm. I'm starting too late uh, or I haven't planned at all. 
That is a lot of people. That is most people. Because up until you hit your 40s, you are in the busiest and most expensive years of your whole life. Your kids are little and you're hitting your insurance deductibles every year and you're paying for their school and their daycare and everything that goes along with it. And maybe you haven't hit your stride yet in your career. So if you're getting into your 40s and you have little to nothing planned, that's okay. And it's very, very common. Most people aren't able to really think about retiring until they're 65 or, or 67. Mm-hmm. So it's possible that you have a solid 25 years mm-hmm. to, to get it in check, but you will have to make up some ground, um, that, that, you know, um, can definitely be covered. So the first thing, if you're starting late or you're getting caught up, would be look at the employer options that you have through work and definitely make sure that you are maximizing those. What that means is is if your employer will match you dollar for dollar up to 3%, if you're not doing 3%, you're leaving money on the table and that's just silly. Yep. And so another thing then is people will will want to save in addition to that and and you will probably have you will definitely have to do more than 3% to get to where you want to be. It's easy to be approached by salespeople, um, whether they be advisors, and I am not I am not in an industry that provides any products. I simply do the plan. Um, so I say this with all due respect to the people who um, are in the industry that, that I stepped away from. But I would, almost every single time, you are better off investing extra into the retirement plan that you have at work rather than doing something on the side. Mm-hmm. And the reason why that is from a retirement aspect is because when you are when you're in a 401k your money is pooled with everybody else's money. And those plans are so heavily scrutinized um, by outside sources. And the level of due diligence is so much higher. The fees are substantially lower. Okay. So, you know, yes, you would love to give your neighbor's nephew a shot at your Roth IRA. And it is very nice for you to, to consider that. But at the same time, if year over year it's going to cost you an extra one and a half percent to do business with that person, I just said you had twenty five years. That's a lot of money to that's, give up. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> so, and don't be afraid to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to ask. You know, the whoever is the plan administrator at work. Don't be afraid to ask that question of you know, do you know the percentage that that each participant is being charged? They should, they will know that number. And to whatever investment professional you work with, they should also know that number. And it would take an extraordinary amount of market, you know, finesse to beat that fee structure year over year, every year. So definitely utilize your employer option first when it comes to retirement planning because your money is pooled with everybody else. So instead of walking in there looking like a brand new Roth IRA with a zero balance, you're you're pooled with people who could potentially be three and four million dollars and they're gonna get a significant price break mm-hmm. compared to you. Um, so that is that is where I would go when it comes to catching up. But really, you know, if you, you wanna meet with somebody who can say, 
what does your retirement look like? You know, do you want to retire at 65 or some people are already saying 70 and when you retire, what do you want your life to look like? Mm -hmm. And because that's really what matters. If you're going to live in an airstream and travel the country, then it is going to look significantly different. Your savings goals will be significantly yes. <laughs> different than someone who wants to have a winter house and a summer house. Mm -hmm. You know, those are different numbers, different savings goals, um, but you have to be able to sit with someone who can crunch crunch those numbers, you know, and tell you that. So, um, you know, so you've hit all of those, you've hit all those high marks. You know, you've got your emergency fund in place. You've got your debt either gone or a plan for it to be gone. Um, you've got some other savings there for your, your not emergency, but for your house maintenance and things that come up type of um situations and then you've also got your retirement plan working for you so then that is when you can take a step outside of that when it comes to uh, potentially saving for your kids mm -hmm. so there are different ways to save uh, for your kids the one that has the best tax advantages um, if your children are inclined to go to college would be a 529 plan and in the state of Illinois, I don't know where your all of your subscribers mm -hmm. come from, but here in the state of Illinois, we do have the option of contributing to an Illinois-sponsored plan, and that does not mean the state of Illinois has any control or ties to your money. It's just an Illinois-sponsored plan. It's managed out of Nebraska, so it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, we do have access to Illinois-sponsored plans where you will get a dollar-for-dollar -dollar tax deduction our tax reduction off of uh, your state income taxes. So what that looks like, when you're doing your taxes, your state taxes, let's say the household income was $100,000. Let's say you put $10,000 into a 529 plan. When it comes to figuring your taxes, your taxable income in the state of Illinois would look like 90,000. So you get a very powerful, it's 4.95%. Mm -hmm. So you get a very powerful um, deduction in your tax liability for you know the contribu contributions that you make to those plans. If you're using another state's plan, you don't get that. Mm -hmm. So be cautious when working with uh, you know investment professionals. Be cautious about the plan that you're being offered because if you're not getting that tax deduction and just because it's a 529 does not mean you're getting the tax deduction. Um, it's like I said, there's specific Illinois plans that would give you that. Indiana has some similar ones. Like each state kind of has mm -hmm. their thing. So make sure that you're being offered the plan, the correct plan that would give you that, that deduction. So you can put in the, the monies that you want to, the monies that you need to, um, you have an owner, that's typically a parent, you have a beneficiary, that would be the child, and at no point in time does that money flip-flop and become the asset of the child. So that's really powerful because I, I don't know too many 20-year-olds that need to inherit money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, let's say you get down the road and your now 18-year-old gets a full scholarship you would have the ability to transfer that beneficiary to where maybe if you have other children, that money can funnel down to them. Um, this is where being intentional from day one can be helpful. So I'll give you some examples. So some people, they are 
some parents are saving their money mm -hmm. and they're, they're getting the tax break and they're wanting to help out their kids. When it's all said and done, if the kid doesn't use all of their money, they might not be inclined to give them the balance. And that makes sense. It was the parent's money. It was specifically saved for college. Yes, the child's name was listed on there as a beneficiary, but that's kind of just because it had to be. Right. <laughs> you have to have a beneficiary listed. So um, an alternative, and, and this is the situation that my children are in, I've established these 529 accounts, and grandparents love to gift money to this 529 account. I mean, my kids have enough toys. The parents really, really like to be able to write a, you know, a, a whatever amount check to each of my kids for Christmas or birthday because they know it makes a big impact there. So in that situation, I will not be inclined to keep that money for myself because it, it was intended for, the, mm -hmm. for them to begin with. So depending on how you're funding it and who is funding it, that might affect your decision. So let's say that you parent are the only person who has funded this account. You are not inclined to just keep passing it along and everybody has used it. All your kids have used it for what they're gonna be using it for and there is still money left over. You can just let it sit in there see what comes up, uh, no harm, no foul, if it just continues to sit in there and uh, it'll stay invested in the market and um, you know a scenario might come up to where you can use it later on down the road. If you do decide to cash that in though, there are some tax consequences and penalties that would be imposed, um, but they're not significant enough to make that option um, detrimental. So, one scenario of how it can be used down the road, I established a 529 account for myself long before my daughter was born. I used it for my MBA. I paid for my master's mm -hmm. through that. Mm -hmm. Well, at the end of it all, I still had money left over and I didn't have any kids at the time. So I just left it in there, I sat on it, and then when my daughter was born, I, had, I renamed the beneficiary to her. Mm -hmm. So my daughter started with a balance in it just because um, and there was a significant time difference between when I finished my MBA and when it when she was born. So um, that's one example of kind of how it can continue to um, uh, be used down the road. And you can name it to you can name it to other children. So if you have three kids, you don't necessarily need three accounts um, because you can re <clears throat> excuse me. You can ret retitle that beneficiary. Okay, uh, that's one thing I didn't know. I kind of assumed that each kid would have to have their very own, but I didn't know it was so easy to kind of retitle that beneficiary. Yeah, it's a, just one form to retitle a beneficiary, mm -hmm. and the Illinois plan that I utilize, and I'm going to be very careful to not give out, you know, the the names of what I use, mm -hmm. just be, you know, out of. Um, just n not trying to give advice. Yes. <laughs> the one that I utilize, it's also really cheap. It's $12 a year is the account fee. Oh so gosh. yeah, so I, you know, I guess if you're, I guess if it were a higher fee, you might definitely be inclined to have a different account for each kid uh, or to have one account. But at $12 a year, I mean, if, if you wanna have an account for each kid, one thing that I will caution you though is the Illinois plans that I am familiar with do not issue a tax document. So at the end of the year, you just take your final statement whenever you're doing your taxes to make sure that that whatever you contributed is written off because that's not that's not issued out like a 1099 or something like that okay. um, or a 5498. 
to where the IRS is seeing where money is moving, you have to kind of make a conscientious effort to do that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> so there's a whole lot of time that can get you from age 40 to that 65 mark. And the people in your life are depending on you, to, you know, to, to get them, you know, through all the phases up until that point. So life insurance is a super powerful tool to utilize in between there. Now, there are a lot of different schools of thought on this and it can be a somewhat sensitive topic. So I am coming from the background of, I have never worked for an insurance company. Um, and I was not trained by an insurance company and my background comes from the, the, the education and the training that I've had through getting my certified financial planner designation. So in saying that, um, I will say that I am not of the opinion that life insurance is an investment or should be used as an investment. So what that ultimately means then, and this was a good question that I had um, on my social media thread the diff of using term versus whole. I personally do not use whole life insurance. The only whole life insurance <clears throat> I've ever sold, <clears throat> the only whole life insurance that I have ever sold was for the lives of children mm -hmm. uh, because it was a hundred and something dollars a year. So in my opinion, um, and, and as I was, as I was, you know, taught through, like I said, through the certified financial planning education and designation piece is, you know, life insurance, um, it is used to mitigate your risk. Just like you have insurance on your house, just like you have insurance on your car, you pay it every year because you have to and you really, really hope that you don't have to use it. Right. <laughs> I feel the same exact way with life insurance. Mm -hmm. So I utilize term life insurance and I have in the past always recommended term life insurance for my clients because the goal is if you're following all of these other steps, if you're following your budget and it gives you an allocation for paying off your debts or keeping your debts at zero, also saving for um, retirement for your midterm, you're going to get to a spot where you are what's called self-insured. And that means that you don't, your life insurance isn't paying off your debts, mm -hmm. you know, and it's typically, you know, when you're outside of your earning years. So if you are anticipating that you're going to be earning money for the next 25 years and you have 20 years left on your mortgage and your kids are going to be your responsibility for the next 20 years, mm -hmm. then you really wouldn't need a life insurance product that's going to follow you into your 80s mm -hmm. because your job is as an earner is going to be done within 25 right. years. Um, I have been seeing a product floating around a lot that's like an 80 year term um, that's basically whole life insurance. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, it's doing about the same thing. And so, um, like I said, I use term life insurance for adults. I get them through their earning years. I get them through when their debts are gonna be hanging over their head. And you know, you're, you can save a significant amount of money when you do that. So when you shop at your life insurance, ask to see all of it. I'm pretty sure you're gonna be proposed, you're gonna get a proposal for a whole policy. Mm -hmm. Ask for a term to go with it. Ask mm -hmm. to see what that number looks like and it will be significant. Um, you'll also see hypotheticals of where it's raising, it's, it's getting a cash value and it could be worth a certain amount at a certain time. 
you know, you can make the argument and, and have them run the numbers. Well, if you invested the difference between the cost of the whole and the cost of the term over that same time period, pretty sure you'll have more money at the end of the day if you do the term policy and invest the difference. Wow. I didn't know it was that big of a difference. Yes, it is significant. Wow. And I'm not, I mean, I'm not afraid to use my own numbers here. Um, at one point in time, I did have a whole life policy on myself. Mm -hmm. um, I got a small $25,000 whole life policy when I was in my mid 20s. It was about $3,350 a year. So mm -hmm. $3,350 a year for a $25,000 whole life policy. That would not have paid off my mortgage. That would not have covered a year worth of income, but that was what was sold to me, and I took it uh, you know, at a young age, and I was hanging on to it. Fast forward to when I'm in the industry, and I have this knowledge um, at my fingertips. I wrote myself a million-dollar policy when I was 34 years old, and it cost me $380 a year. Oh, my gosh. Significant, That's a huge difference. Significant difference. Right. And, and that policy will cover me until my obligations with my child, my children, and you know my mortgage when that should be done. Mm -hmm. So um, ask to see what the cost differences are um, because they are significant. Right. So um, that's my two cents about life insurance. Yeah. Um, so when it comes to, I had another good question about HSAs. Mm -hmm. um, Medical care is expensive. If you have uh, the opportunity to save money in an HSA account, it will also help you today on your taxes and be sitting there for you later if you were to need it. If you don't end up needing it, once you reach retirement age, you can actually use those funds in retirement as well. So um, I would not put saving in an HSA ahead of your emergency account, and I would not put it ahead of your paying off your debt or getting your midterm savings. But if you find yourself you know, working through your plan and it might take you two years to where you can start tackling the next task, mm -hmm. um, then, you know, then allocating some money there uh, will help you from a tax standpoint as well. Right. So that's not necessarily like a use or lose. Nope, the, the FSA is the use or lose. The HSA is the health savings account and it can follow you year to year to year. Um, I was actually in a situation at one point in time where I worked for an employer, I had access to an HSA, and I used it and I saved money in that. Mm -hmm. When I left that employer, and this is something that freaks people out, when I left that employer and went to my next employer, I did not have an HSA compatible plan. Mm -hmm. But I was still able to use that balance for the medical expenses that I incurred after the fact. So I couldn't put money into it anymore, mm -hmm. but I could take money out of it used for qualified um, medical expenses, okay. and it was fine. Right, right. Well, great. Well, gosh, you have covered a lot of, <laughs> we've covered a lot of ground. Yeah. Was there, I mean, was there anything, any questions that you had floating around? I know you and I have talked about it so much in the past. So. I, right, right. So it's funny because um, I met Julie about a year ago and um, she informed me that her, kind of her initial interest in college was um, nutrition. So we kind of immediately bonded over that. Um, and one thing we talked about before we started recording the podcast was just kind of about like 
food, you know, how a food budget, you know, how that kind of fits into our budget mm-hmm. is, you know, eating and all of that. Um, but I mean, it affects, every, you know, like you said, the budget is kind of one of the big yes. pieces that a lot of financial advisors don't necessarily go over with you. It's right. more focused on the investments and things like that. Um, but really the budget is kind of where things need to, need to start. And well, I have a friend and, and she is incredibly uh, creative and she has a business, you know, that's based around that. And she put, I, she made a sign for me um, that I, I keep on my desk and it says invest in yourself. And when it comes to the budget and making conscientious decisions about what you're prioritizing and what you're spending is one of the largest expenses in retirement is your health care. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily your insurance premiums, but whatever else you might have going on. So if in your 40s, and your 40s you're still young, you're still, you can still turn things around, you can still make some good improvements. So depending on your vices, I'll go ahead and say smoking just because from <laughs> everything that we know in 2020, you know, like uh, not only is it expenses, but what it will do to your quality of life and your retirement expense needs mm-hmm. is dramatic. Same thing goes for eating healthy. You know, the if you're making that that investment and you're being intentional of of making the t- the quality of your groceries um, a priority as opposed to always just going on what's easier, what tastes good, that could down the road. Um, I mean. When it comes to type two diabetes, you know, right. those mm-hmm. are people that you counsel all the time. Right. Well, at the same time, I am sitting there, you know, counseling people in their retirement who have some exorbitant expenses because of those medical challenges. So being intentional on the front end and, and, and thinking about, you know, what you want retirement to look like. Because if you want retirement to be long and you want retirement to be active and you want retirement to be fun, you're, you're, you're going to have to make sacrifices of some kind today. Right, right. Well, that's good. And like you said, the I think one thing that I took away because I, judging from um, the posts that you put out on social media mm-hmm. that people were responding to, is I think a lot of people like you were saying in our age in our age group is like, oh wow, like I have not been investing or saving like I should, like I should you maybe should have been my air quotes again, um, but but you're saying it's not too late, like right. it's okay and like. It, and it's it's not too late. So I think that's probably going to ease a lot of people's minds right now. Um, you know that, that it's not it's not too late. We can still you know develop a savings, invest, and ha- still have a good retirement. Yes. Um, and I know that a lot of our parents, grandparents, really depended on Social Security. And this wasn't something that came up, um, but it's something that I've always heard. You know, from from past clients and things like that. I do think Social Security will probably be there in some aspect. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we will be able to depend on it the way that our parents and grandparents did. Right. We definitely don't have the same access to pensions that our parents and grandparents had. Mm -hmm. So we do need to be intentional about what we're setting aside just so we can avoid, you know, having to work into our 70s, you know, um... There is a movement, and I really, really like this movement. I mean, there's a lot of financial gurus that I like, but there's something called a, the FIRE movement, and I like it because it seems to be like a grassroots 
um, type of concept. Nobody owns it. Nobody's making money off of it. Um, but it stands for financially independent and retire early. And so through this FIRE movement, it talks about, you know, coming up with multiple streams of income. That doesn't mean you have to start up another business. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean you have to have rental properties. That doesn't mean you have to have farmland. What that can mean is that you build up a base in the market that can pay you dividends. Mm -hmm. That is a passive stream of income. Mm -hmm. um, when it comes to retiring early, that doesn't mean you clock out when you're 50 years old and say, peace out, I'm never seeing yeah. any of you guys again. <laughs> but maybe what that means is maybe at 50, you can do what you want to do mm -hmm. and not be dependent on the stable paycheck that had come from your traditional job. So um, another, th you know, I gave you a couple of app options um, looking into reading about, or I like to follow the hashtags um, on Instagram when it comes to the fire movement. Um, that's also been really interesting. And, and you see um, people will share their stories on what's working and what's not working. Oh, that's interesting. And you see it, you can see it being done so many different ways. Like I said, when it comes to that passive stream of income, everybody has their own knack, what they're good at, you know, of what could create that other stream of income. Mm -hmm. And I think we might start seeing more of that with, you know, more people working from home because of the pandemic. People are looking at other avenues for income because mm -hmm. some businesses are completely shut down at this point and have not um, have not kind of opened their doors back up. So I think that we're probably going to start seeing mm -hmm. even more of that. So, well, but thank you for having me. Um, thank you so much for being on here, yes. Julie. This was well, fun. and I'll I'll back up kind of to the beginning um, a little bit more. People reach out to me one on one about uh, advising or planning or specific things like that. And I am no longer in the industry of advising or planning for individual clients. It's the topic that I love and I'll talk about it with anybody um, because I, I really do feel like financial literacy is lacking here and and I, I don't feel like that's the fault of our education system. I just mm -hmm. feel like that's where we have found ourselves as a society. But um, I'm not in, I'm, I, I don't work for individual clients anymore. I, I work for a company and, and my planning is utilized strictly as a, a benefit to employees for large companies. But um, I, I, I think that there are so many resources that are available and I would be mm -hmm. happy to chit chat, not give specific recommendations or sell specific things, but I'd be happy to chit chat. Uh, with anybody if they have questions. Okay, great. So how, what's a good way for them to reach you if they do have questions? So I believe, just, I believe I'll believe i be through social media is perfectly okay. fine. Yeah, okay. so uh, I believe that I'll probably be tagged in the podcast on, through yours. And okay. yeah, so through social media is fine. You can um, always uh, send me a message or friend request. Can't have enough friends. I know. I know. <laughs> Especially on social media. <laughs> Exactly. Well, thank you so much for being here today. This was so inform informative and um, lots of good nuggets that everyone can kind of take away from this. So um, we definitely appreciate you and, and your time with us today. Thank you. All right. Thanks. We are so grateful for the amazing professionals that we have the privilege to work and share clients with. A big thank you to our podcast guests who take their time to join us and share their expertise. Make sure you follow us on social media at Become Nutrition Wise and head over to www.becomenutritionwise.com to get on our email list for more great bites like this.